morning, Reach Montreal. How are we doing today? Doing good, we're here, we're live, and we're getting the mic honed in. But I just wanna thank you for the opportunity to be here. Uh, yeah, you guys are saying thank you for, for serving us. I thank you for the opportunity to serve, and thank you for being gracious with uh, the guys like me who are the pastoral apprentices in Church 21. We're, we're learning, we're getting this, this preaching thing uh, you know, together. And so, uh, yeah, thank you again for this opportunity to be here. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Trenton Walker, and I've been in Quebec for 10 years. And for the last two years, I've been a part of uh, the Church 21 leadership as a pastoral apprentice. And so, uh, yeah, if you've been with us over the summer, we've been looking at the Gospel of Mark. And so who's uh, sat in for a couple of those those sermons, at least, over the summer? Yeah, so we're going to take a pause from Mark. There's a, there's a guy in our congregation who who's started to joke about how we're going to be in Mark for the rest of our lives, but which is not false, I don't think. No, it's going to keep going for a while. But uh, we're going to take a pause. We're going to shift our focus off of Mark because it's around this time of year uh, in Church 21 that we just want to refocus, recalibrate ourselves uh, towards the vision of what our church is about. And I know that Reach Montreal shares a lot of that fundamental vision and desire to reach the city with the gospel. And so there's going to be a lot of the, the cultural um, vision and focus that's part of Church 21 that I'm going to be sharing with you today that translates directly to your expression of gathering as the church to reach Montreal. Uh, and so this week, uh, it's a two-part series, uh, as we mentioned, but this week we're going to be focusing on what it means to forge followers of Jesus Christ, specifically in community, in the church. And then next week we're, we'll be talking about how we forge followers of Jesus Christ on mission. Okay, but today we're going to be looking at community. We're going to be looking at the church. And so now that you have an idea of where we're going to be going today with, uh, with the sermon, with our time together, I'd like to give you just a brief mental break. Okay, uh, so just start things off on the right foot. I'd like you to close your eyes and imagine what your ideal paradise looks like. Just fill in that blank space with the image of your ideal paradise. All right, you can open your eyes. And I won't, you know, take a census here, but I'm guessing that 90% of you, your, your ideal paradise had palm trees. Am I right? Was there any, like, beaches or oceans? I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe a little bit more balanced, but uh, I'm just going to speak for myself that while I know my wife would be thinking about the tropics, thinking about some secluded island with a little hut on it with, like, palm trees and beautiful things, I, I love woods and freshwater. I love the, the safety of freshwater, not having to be worried about what's in there, or jellyfish, or man of war, what all. So I like woods and freshwater. So when I'm filling in that space in my mind, I'm thinking basically about the, the scenery that you can look, uh, you see all around us, like right here in Quebec. And so I'd like you to take a moment now to refill that space and just think about the beauty and bountifulness that surrounds us here in Quebec. Okay, so did anyone get their SAPAC uh, pass this summer to go to the, you know, the national parks? Have you been enjoying that at all? I'm the only one. Oh, Caleb, Caleb went. He doesn't have a pass. But yeah, we, we've done it two years in a row. We just love spending time in nature, loves enjoying the beauty and the bountifulness that Quebec offers. I remember times I would go on hikes and find blueberries and just harvest blueberries on the top of the mountain. It's just, just a wonderful experience. And so... I was just thinking about what, what would the early explorers have thought when they found this land? And how does this land of Quebec compare to what they would have defined as paradise? 
So you may know that Jacques Cartier is the one that discovered Quebec, but his his journey into the Northwest Atlantic region, his, his main goal wasn't to find new land for settling. It was finding a new route to Asia. It was supposed to find riches and gold. But he instead found a place as vast as you could imagine, a place that was fruitful for sowing and for reaping, a place with rivers and lakes of fresh water, and set, settlers were sent to this land, to this, this land that was discovered by Jacques Cartier. And, and so as people were sent to this land, because of the, the bountifulness, the, the, population start, the population started to flourish. And as much as the population grew and flourished, so did religion here in Quebec. And so you, you surely know that if you've traveled anywhere in Quebec, you, you, you travel through this large landmass. You're, you're, you're going, you can travel over 10 hours and still be like in the mainland of Quebec. And, and as you're driving, you're gonna see that there's everything offered to sustain life but then there's also steeples on almost every horizon. You see the, the, the steeples of churches everywhere. There's thousands of church buildings. Yet, oddly enough, we find that there's very little spiritual vitality in Quebec. And so ever since the Quiet Revolution, this entire province has been searching for an identity. And so consistently, Quebec is actually identified as the least reached people group and place in the Western Hemisphere. Okay, Quebec is consistently identified as the least reached people and place in, in the Western Hemisphere. And so for many, many years, there are faithful Christians that have been working to attempt to bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Quebecois people, but little fruit has been seen. You see the population is growing because the land is, is bountiful for sustaining life, uh, for growing the population, but at the same time, the territory seems to be bleak and cursed and destined to be a place of darkness uh, when you think about the spiritual reality here in Quebec. So I'd like you to imagine again, what would it look like for Quebec to be as spiritually transformed, uh, to be spiritually transformed, to be as alive and fruitful as the land that sustains it? Can we imagine a, a place like this? Because right now we know that that's not the reality. We know that that's not the case. We know that we're surrounded by a land that is flourishing and a people that are living in a sort of spiritual desert. That's the reality that we know in Quebec. And so what if the people of this land could be transformed? Imagine a future where the people of this land are spiritually alive, fruitful for reaping and sowing, where there are rivers and, and lakes and streams of living water flowing in Quebec, where that's the reality. What if Quebec was transformed from being consistently identified as the least reached people group in place to being identified as the most reached people in the world? Now, I'm going to... I guess you could say nerd out a little bit on you, but uh, I don't know if any of you have read the sci-fi book, Dune, but in case you haven't or you have no idea about it, I'm just gonna explain a little bit as an illustration here, and it might or might not make sense to you. But in Dune, there are the inhabitants of this desert planet called Arrakis. And these inhabitants, their, their name are uh, the Fremen, okay? And so the Fremen believe that they're, they're living on this desert planet, and they believe if they work together as a people to reshape the surface of this desert, 
uh, planet. And if they store up enough water in caves and taverns under the surface, that one day they're going to be able to terraform their planet. They're going to be able to change the entire planet to be like an, an earth-like paradise. Okay, so that's, that's this mentality of these people in this sci-fi book. But the thing that I wanted to point out is the hope in this future transformation, it identifies the way of life of these people. Everything they, to, they do revolves around conserving water and working the surface so that one day they can realize and they can see their, this desired transformation. Every Fremen, every, every person on this planet contributes to this vision. And so now I want to go back to what would it look like for the Church of Montreal to be defined by the vision of reaching Montreal. That's your, your name, Reach Montreal, right? And so what would it look like even further for every person in the congregation to be contributing to this vision? So to imagine Quebec going from being the least reached place with the gospel to the most reached place in the world, it can seem as impossible, it can seem as unlikely as this sci-fi illustration of these people completely terraforming their world uh, from a desert planet into an earth-like paradise. But I want to ask you to, to consider this question. What if the, the verse, the reality of Mark 1.28, I guess we're going back into Mark, Mark 1.28 uh, about Jesus in Gal Galilee became true in Quebec. This is the verse. And at once his fame spread everywhere. What if that became our reality here in Montreal? Now, if you've been connected to anyone from Church 21, <laughs> you've probably heard this articulated before. You've probably heard this idea of, of being a church for Montreal, being a church for Quebec, reaching the 21 regions of Quebec, uh, maybe minus the, the dune illustration. But... Anyone who has shared this vision or if anyone who's heard this vision might have also heard it completed with this sentence. While all this seems to be in, unlikely, while all this seems to be not very plausible, while all this seems to be impossible, we have a God who loves to do what appears impossible. Let's just take a moment to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just I thank you for uh, your work in our lives through Jesus. I thank you that uh, you, your desire to reach Quebec surpasses in every way even our smallest desire to see it change. And so thank you, God, that you're God of the impossible. Thank you, God, that before we even started considering what it would look like for Quebec to be changed with the gospel, you already have plans in place to make that happen. And so I just pray that we'd be attentive to your word and you'd lead us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we have a God who loves to do what appears to be impossible. And I want to present to you the idea today that part of that impossible has to start at home. It has to start here in the church. It has to start with you. And so if you turn with me to John 13, 34, that'll be the main verse that we're going to work through today. John 13, 34. The name of Jesus being carried forward to our day through thousands of years, many generations, and the name of Jesus being made famous today while we're here, while we're living, while we're breathing in Montreal, it, it starts with the church. And it's this, this whole vision, this impossible vision, it starts with one straightforward command from Jesus. And let's read that together. John 13, 34. I give you a new command. 
love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. It's so simple. It's, it's, it seems to be so straightforward. D.A. Carson says, this new command is simple enough for a toddler to memorize. And, and, and it's simple enough for a toddler to appreciate. Yet it's profound enough that, the, that most mature believers repeatedly embarrass themselves at how poorly they comprehend it and put it into practice. Listen again. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And so just to, just to have a clear understanding of what we're reading here, this command is directed to Jesus' disciples. So this command is directed to those who call themselves disciples of Jesus. And disciples of Jesus are those that sit under Jesus' teaching. They sit under his word. And today we, we sit under the teaching and the word in the Bible. And then his, Jesus' disciples are those that come to salvation through the work of Jesus, through his death and resurrection. So this commandment is directed to disciples of Jesus. He's speaking to his disciples. He's saying, look around in the room. Love one another as I have loved you. And so this command simply translates to loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. So take a moment, look around the room. Look at your brothers and sisters in Christ. And we, it was such a, a, a perfect song choice this morning. It's just saying exactly that, to love those who are around you. And so this, this is the command. And so through the life of Jesus, he, he exemplified, he showed us what it really looks like to love others. And through his words, he mandated it as a way of life for his disciples. And so this this reality that we live today is that we, we poorly comprehend the mandate and we're mostly unable to put it into practice. And in, in a sense, what I call a straightforward command, this, this verse is, seems so straightforward, well, it, it actually is impossible for us. So not only is there an impossible vision, we're already faced with an impossible command. And so the idea is that before God does the impossible in Quebec, he needs to do the impossible here in this room. He needs to do the impossible in his people, in our own hearts. And so we need to continue to be taught and come to a more clear understanding of what Jesus' definition is of love. What What does Jesus define love to be? And so He's giving this command to his disciples. And, and the word used in, in the Greek language for love, it's, it means to have a, a care for each, a great care and affection and a loyalty for each other. Now, my question is, before we get into all the bigger picture of like how Jesus really showed love, if we look at that, if we look at that as that, the definition of that Greek word for love used here, great care, affection, and loyalty. Is this consistently consistently the way that we define love. Because I think that but before we even get to loving the way that Jesus loves, which is impossible, we just contribute, we pile on that, um, that whole idea of the impossible. We contribute to the impossible by just changing the definition of love and loving on our own terms. So we already, we fail to obey this commandment when we love others in the way that we define, and when we define love in our own terms. And so I just want to think of three ways that we fall short of loving others with great care, affection, and loyalty. The first one is that we love conditionally. 
I can admit to this. I can admit to thinking negatively about some friendships where it seems that, to, that there's an, an imbalance in the investment into the relationship. There's not an, a mutual investment. Uh, it seems that it's all one-sided and the other party in the, the relationship, they're not faithful. They're not investing. They're, they're just not there. And so in, in this just way of processing the, the investment and the love and the relationship, I've defined love as being conditional to mutual investment. But let's look at how God defines love when there's a lack of investment. God, he, he, his love, it's not conditional to our faithfulness. Aren't you, aren't you thankful for that? God's love is not conditional to our faithfulness or investment, but it's conditional to his faithfulness, and he is always faithful. He is always faithful, always and forever. But we often redefine love as being conditional. Now, another way we fall short is that we love selfishly. And maybe you can relate to this, but when you just think about in a relationship with someone, am I getting as much of this relationship as I'm giving. Our love is selfish. It's, it's self-centered. It's looking inward and not outward. And just look at Jesus. In his relationship with people, did he look at what he could get or does he set the example of how to give? We fall short of this commandment as we redefine love in our own ways when we love selfishly. And the last way I just want to consider that we, we fall short of loving others is when we expect love to be easy. Maybe we think things like, we shouldn't have to deal with people's problems. They need to get their life in order. If, and if they can't, why, why am I the person that has to deal with like this drama and all this extra junk and baggage that they're bringing with them. Like, I've got enough drama in my life. I'm working through it. I'm not bringing this into other people's lives. We, we expect loving people to be easy. And what does Jesus do? Jesus, he knows that without his work on our behalf, without his investment into our lives, we would always and forever remain messed up. And so Jesus, he was willing to give his life to deal with our problems to provide a way for us to be freed from sin. And then Jesus, he actively participates in getting our lives in order. So we, we fail to, to obey Jesus' commandment to love one another. When we define love on our own terms and we, we, we just move forward with that. We're like, okay, I, I'm not gonna love like this. I'm gonna love the way I can, I can manage it. And so we just contribute to the impossible. And so as a church, as, as Church 21, as Reach Montreal, Montreal, we can run towards a vision of, of seeing complete provincial transformation. And the hope, that will, all our hope is rooted that the fame of Jesus would spread everywhere in Quebec. But for this to happen, the impossible has to happen here right now, today. We have to learn to love the way that Jesus loves us. And I just want to give you hope that it's God that makes loving this way possible. I'm gonna to read to you another verse in John 15, uh, 12 and 13. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. And so this verse takes us even further into what is the highest standard of love? Jesus is saying in, in our passage, John uh, 13, love one another as I have loved you. In John 15, we see the highest standard of love. The highest standard of love is laying down one's life for his friend. And so 
we get pictures of this in, our, in the media all around us. We get pictures of, pe- of people giving their life. It's a beautiful picture. And we want to believe that we can love in a way that we would be selfless and, uh, and think of others more than ourselves. And we want, we want to believe that that, that that exists and we want to imitate it. And so you see it in movies. And so I was just thinking about the climax of this film. And I'm not going to give the title because different pastors have different opinions about giving the spoilers of movies. And I won't name anyone, but I know someone said that if it's been three weeks, you're allowed to like use the whole movie as, a, as an illustration. And so that... Anyways, I'm not going to give the title, but don't get too distracted trying to figure out if you've watched the movie. But anyways, there's this movie, and there's a father who mirrors the image of Christ. His children are in danger. They're in danger of death. And so in order to save his children, he lifts up his arms, and he literally cries out, Ah! And at that moment, you, you see a picture of the cross. You see his arms raised like this. You see him crying out. And in crying out, he literally calls the danger and death that is over his children. He calls that danger and death onto himself. And so you can literally see this, this, this work almost, a picture of the cross where he's got his arms open. He's calling death onto himself to save his children. And this father in the film, he literally gives his life so that his children could be freed from death. And so, I don't know, some of you might be like, I'm re- I really think I know which movie that is, but come back with me now. We're going to move forward. And so, we hear the command of Jesus to love as Jesus loved. We hear that the greatest standard of love is laying down one's life. And so, we see pictures of self-sacrifice like this, and, and we think to ourselves, okay, so Jesus set the example of what I should strive for. This is what I need to work towards. This is what love means, that I'm going to give my life for someone else. But honestly, if you think like that, I believe that we're thinking wrong when we think that we need to strive for that example and that standard of love because we're going to put ourselves under crushing religion. We're going to crush our spirit with the impossibility of living up to that standard. Jesus is the only person who could actually fulfill this command, and he does. He doesn't just teach to love, uh, and he doesn't just teach that love is laying down one's life, but he does it. And so in 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Christ Jesus laid down his life for us. So the impossible call to love the way Jesus loves, Jesus laying down his life, it's I don't believe it's meant to be an example of something that we strive for. I believe that Jesus laying down his life is the means for us to be transformed and for us to redefine love. And so his death, the death of Jesus, his resurrection, it made it possible for the spirit of the living God, the same spirit that brings Jesus out of the grave, that same spirit, his death, is able to be given to us and to change us and to make us new from the inside out and to live in ways that are not in our own capacity and not in our own ability. And so before Jesus died, he promises his disciples this. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. And so, as we think about this, God in his faithfulness provides a way to care for our needs. Our greatest need is 
to be saved and, and freed from our sin, he provides a way. When we had nothing to offer, when Jesus wasn't getting anything out of it, Jesus gave his life for us. And so this is, if you've never received that, that work of Jesus on your behalf, this is something that you need to engage with today. Before you start thinking about loving the way Jesus loves, you need to receive that love that Jesus is offering you today. And this happens in, as you believe in the work of Jesus Christ, Jesus brings salvation to your, to your home, to your heart, and, and this is the, the promise of God for us. And the, when we move beyond that, when we move past the point of, of receiving this work of Jesus on our behalf, we know that Jesus loves perfectly. We've seen this example and that he sends the helper, the Holy Spirit, to actually fulfill this command, to actually learn to love others in the way that Jesus defines it and not in the way that we define it. As, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So Jesus, he's not only giving the command with his words, but he's also providing through his work the means to accomplish this command. Do you hear that? It's not about how religious or how good or how loving you can be. It's about the work that Jesus wants to do in you through the Holy Spirit, to love and live in a way that's beyond yourself. We can't, we can't work, we can't strive to meet that standard of love that Jesus set. But through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we can surpass any expectation of our culture in the way that we love and that we live each other. And so, and when this starts to happen, when the Holy Spirit helps you understand Jesus' love, when the Holy Spirit helps you to love your brothers and sisters in Christ in the same way, this is what happens. This is a, the following verse, John 13, 35. Everyone will know that you are my disciples. Everyone will know that you are Jesus' disciples because of your love for one another. They're gonna see you and know that you don't love people the same way they love people. And your job isn't to be like, yeah, I just, you know, I'm just a really loving person, like by God's grace. No, it's because of God. God, not just his grace, his grace is what provides you the Holy Spirit so that you can live a way that's outside of your own capacity. And so God, he makes loving possible. He makes loving the way that Jesus commands possible through the work of Jesus, through the, the work of the Holy Spirit. And in this moment, that's when the impossible starts to happen in the church. So we're praying for the impossible to happen, that Quebec would be spiritually transformed into a land where people are spiritually alive. It seems impossible. It seems so far in the future, so impossible that sometimes we grow tired of praying for that. We, we pray that one day the people of Quebec will be fruitful for sowing and for reaping, where there's an abundance of rivers of living water. And this verse, this verse is showing us today, and it makes it clear that a change like this in our province, it flows out of the work that God is going to do in the church. It flows out of the love that he's going to teach us through his Holy Spirit. And so... As a, as a church, Church 21, and I know that, Reach, you share much of this desire. We, we want to be forging followers of Jesus that, that center their, our lives around the gospel, that we participate in community, we participate in mission. And so this, this focus, this desire is rooted in the knowledge that this church 
isn't our church. This church is the church of Christ. And the call to love one another in Christ and to love the church, the idea of laying down your life, it can seem so big. Okay, let's say that you, we know that there's a presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. We know there's a work of the Holy Spirit in our life changing us. But sometimes, has anyone had the thought like, okay, if ever I, I had the opportunity to, to lay down my life, I do think the Holy Spirit would give me the, the courage, the love to do that. The kind of idea of like, if I ever had to jump in front of a bullet, I think I, think I could do that for my brother Caleb because he's my brother in Christ and, and maybe the Holy Spirit would give me the love to do that in that moment. It's, it seems way too big. It seems so abstract. It seems out there. It seems like one time, you know, I might have to lay down my life one time if it ever happens. And so I wanted to talk about how thinking like that can disconnect this commandment from the everyday stuff of life. And so how do we make this commandment smaller? How do we make it something that we can live every minute, every day? And so I want to ask the question, how does the Holy Spirit give us the ability to love like Jesus in the little things? And so I just want to encourage you that this, this starts small. This starts with groups of two to three people committing themselves to deep relational connections with each other. It's, it's groups of people who are committed to transparency and, and transformation. And, and in the transparency, uh, the, this, there's a practice of the Holy Spirit speaking and leading these, these groups of people to apply the word of God, to change the way we think, feel, and act. And so in Church 21, we would call this kind of identity, this, this reality, this day-to-day of living stuff out, our, our change groups, and you would call it your DNA groups. And now, this is, this is something that I've had the privilege of being a part of for many years with, with a friend of mine. And we don't just remove the branding, like I call them heart-to-heart talks. The point of this identity, living out life in this way, what we're describing here is, is something much more simple than trying to figure out what does DNA groups mean? Like, what is a change group? What is, what is a heart-to-heart talk? What we're c- calling the church to and what the Holy Spirit will do through you is, is friendship. <laughs> it's friendship rooted in a desire to love one another the way Jesus loves us. Jesus is talking to his, to his disciples when he gives this command. To love our brothers in Christ, to love our sisters in Christ in the way that Jesus loves us. And, and the, the ability to do it is all rooted in uh, and enabled in the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So with a helper, with Holy Spirit, we learn to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Holy Spirit t- teaches us how to, to not give up on this level of community by turning back to our own definitions of love and, and thinking, oh man, this person has like way too much going on <laughs> under the surface. I don't know if I can, I can handle this. The Holy Spirit gives you the love to see that relationship through. Just the way that Jesus, he won't give up on the work that he started in you. He's gonna enable you through his Holy Spirit to not give up on the work that he's giving you to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so this, this is the change that the Holy Spirit starts to bring at the smallest level. These one-on-one, two, these groups of two to three uh, believers in Christ coming together in the day-to-day stuff of life. And so this, this is when we start to realize that church is a living, breathing body of Christ. It's not a slot in the Sunday morning. It's not a slot of time in your, in your calendar. 
it's, it's a way of life. And so the Holy Spirit, as, as Holy Spirit starts to increase our love for our brothers and our sisters, we, it starts to change our commitment. It starts to change the way that we live life and that we live as followers of Jesus. And so as our love grows for our brothers and sisters, we start to get to practice love in community. And so we find ourselves in larger groups. We, in addition to gathering in groups of two to three in that small spaces, we're, we're taught, we teach as a church to gather in groups of eight to 12, or I believe in REACH you say six to 10 people. And we, we call this our, our city groups. And this is where we explore the message of the gospel together. That we know that the gospel changes what we believe, who we are, where we live. The gospel changes everything. So we, we want to see this expression of community where Jesus is, where we can take what Jesus is teaching, something simple, straightforward, love one another, just as I have loved you, so you should love one another. We take teaching like this and we try to put it into practice in community. We try to look at what does it look like to serve each other? What does it look like to live as family together? So our verse today brings us to, to look at two these two main things, as we're forging disciples in community, we look at how the Holy Spirit gives us opportunities in, in city groups, in community, to live as family and to serve each other. And I just wanted to share you uh, an experience that, that I had in, in a city group that I've never forgotten. It was, I remember that we were sitting down in, in our city group and we were about to start our, our study of scripture together and the hosts received a phone call. They went into the other room. We were kind of waiting on them and we were like, oh, like, Honestly, I was like, it's kind of random to take a phone call when we're right about, like, about to sit down. And they come out of the room and they're, they're visibly disturbed. And so we, we ask, what's up? What happened? And they, they had just received news that their son, who was living out of province, had been taken into emergency and was not doing well. But it was, it was not in a place that we could just go and visit him. He's in a different province. And so it really felt like we... We could do nothing in that moment, but we scrapped. Oh, there's my timer. Just let me, I didn't know it was going to be <laughs> audible. So we, we scrapped the plan as a group. We said, like, are we really going to sit down and be like, okay, that's, that's too bad for your son. We're so sorry. We're, we're, what do we do? Honestly, we almost felt like at a loss. And what we, the only thing we could feel like we could do was pray. So we sat around the couple. We started praying. And, and we just took turns praying. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed until... Honestly, there was a, like a tangible peace that came into the room. So much so that the, no one continued praying. We kind of looked up, we looked at each other, and it was almost asking the question with our eyes, like, do you feel that? Like, I feel that, do you feel that? And at that moment, we realized that some sort of victory had been won. That the work that had happened in prayer, in community, the, the love that Jesus had given us for our, this, this host couple to gather around and pray, it had brought victory. And so no longer were we experiencing anxiety, worry, uh, fear. We, we had won a victory and we started to celebrate. We, we picked up our phones, we started looking up different songs that people, uh, you know, suggested. And, and we started worshiping and celebrating the victory that had been won. And this still stands out in my mind uh, as just cementing the value of just being in someone's home on a regular basis. And this is, what, it ha what would have happened if, if God hadn't perfectly timed things for community to be around this couple? 
I think that this is God's desire. Through the Holy Spirit, he's going to give us opportunities to learn, and he'll teach us how to love our brothers and sisters the way that Christ loves us. And so this is all rooted in Jesus' teaching, where the Holy Spirit is enabling us to live the way that Jesus calls us to live. Jesus shows us in perfection how to love. And we know that that the way we live, the, the times that we put into practice, all of this comes out of what we're being taught. And so I just wanted to encourage you to continually seek the, to, to be under the teaching of Jesus. Sunday morning worship is an important time, but maybe that's, that's not all you could be doing. And so I just want to encourage you, you'll hear more about this in following weeks, but there's a, a new program that's an effort of approximately 15 churches across Montreal called Courses for Everyone. And the goal is that that everyone grows in maturity and knowledge of Jesus Christ, that we're continually sitting under Jesus' teaching, and that the the work of the Holy Spirit, the the love that's growing in our hearts is is flowing out of a deepening understanding of who Jesus is and and, and what he teaches. And so this isn't, honestly, it's not a plug-in. It's not a promotion. You're probably going to hear about this in following weeks, uh, and it's and knowing Dustin, he cares a lot about teaching. He's your teacher, pastor, right? And so this is starting in October 2nd. It's going to be eight, eight Saturdays uh, from October to May, one Saturday a month. And it's a way that you intentionally sit under Jesus' teaching. And so I just wanted to challenge you that maybe the thoughts like, oh, well, I'll pray about it. Or I'll see if I have time. Or... I'm kind of doing my own study. Maybe those are are ways to get out of sitting under Jesus' teaching in an intentional way. So I would like to ask you to seriously engage with the question, how are you continually being taught by Jesus? And how is that affecting the way you live, the way that you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? And so, like I said, more information will come in weeks to come for how you can get connected. But it's uh, if you're interested now, it's called movementseminaries.ca, Courses for Everyone. And that's a way that you can get into an intentional rhythm of sitting under the the teachings of Jesus. Uh, And other ways that we have opportunities to to live out the the love that Jesus is calling us to is our men's ministries, the women's ministries, the youth ministries. All these things come together. We're we're sitting in groups of two to three in our DNA groups. We're sitting together in, in our city groups. And we're studying together. We gather as men, gather as women, we gather as youth. We celebrate what God's doing on Sunday mornings. And all of this is so beautiful, but without love, it's for nothing. So we just want to remember that love enables all of this. This whole lifestyle of living out opportunities to practice love is also enabled by love. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is doing in community. And so Jesus calls us to love one another just as he has loved us, to love our brothers and sisters in Christ the same way Jesus loved us. And again, when this starts to happen in the church, outsiders, people who are looking in, people who are looking at your way of life are going to see you and know that you're disciples of Jesus because of your love for one another. And so we have to acknowledge that imagining a future where the people of this land, this province of Quebec, are spiritually alive, fruitful for sowing and reaping, where there's an abundance of rivers of living water in our province, this is to imagine the impossible. Yet we have a God who loves to do what appears 
to be impossible. And the impossible starts right here. It starts in the home. It starts in the church. And uh, Jordan Weeks, an elder of Church 21, uh, we're both preaching today. We're preaching the same topic, and we collaborated. And I just wanted to close with uh, some of his words that I think he articulated really well. He said, everything that we've been talking about today, loving each other as Jesus loved us, it depends on something. It depends on us having assurance in the reality of God's love towards us. Do you have assurance in the reality of God's love for you? Too often our answers, there's something like this. If you really spoke what you're feeling in your heart, you might say something like, I think God is, is disappointed with me. I think I've messed up. I know that he loves me, yet somehow I feel like he's frowning on me. There's this sense that the, the thought of the love of God where my shoulders kind of droop. I kind of feel guilty. Like, why, why should he love me? I've messed up. And so if this is you, if this is what you're feeling when you engage with how God loves you, you need to hear that Jesus is not disappointed in you. The Father is not looking down at you with love in his eyes and a frown on his face. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how terrible it was. It doesn't matter how long you hit it. It doesn't matter if it was intentional or not. Jesus will deal gently and compassionately and lovingly with both the unintentional and the intentional sins that we commit. And what limits us from experiencing his gentleness and love is not how severe our sin is, it's not how we stray. It's whether or not we go to him and receive the grace that he offers without end. And so we go to him again and again, and we receive this grace that he offers. We receive this love that he gives so that we're, we're not living under condemnation. We're not living under guilt and shame. But the question is, will you receive the grace and help in your time and need that Jesus offers you? You can... You can receive assurance again today in this reality. God loves you. After, after everything, after everything you've heard in the Bible, after everything we've learned about God's love, to even today just talking about Jesus' love to the point that he lays down his life, do you think his love is going to run out? Do you think his love for you is going to run out and there's going to be a moment where he says, that's it. You've been unfaithful one too many times. What, what makes you think that's even possible? This is what you need to, to say to these voices that are telling you that God's love is going to run out. You need to tell them, no, his love is deeper. His love is wider. His love is higher, longer than anything I can imagine because that's who my God is. My God is immeasurable. And his love is rooted in who he is. And so if God's love he, God's love can't run out any more than God himself can cease to exist because God is love. So you speak back to the voices that are lying to you with truth. And if the voices, if they question your security in Christ, if they ask, well, how do you really know? How do you really know that Jesus is who he says he is or that Jesus is, is saving you, that Jesus laid down his life? Why would he lay down his life for you? This is what you say. If Jesus would pursue me in love, when I didn't even care about him, when I didn't even know him, when I was an enemy of God, he pursued me with love and he adopted me into his family. Why now, as a child of God, 
Now that he's made me his child, why would he push me away? You're wrong. You just speak against the voice. No way. Jesus is never going to unfriend me. Jesus is not going to unson or undaughter me. He's never going to let me go. Now, all of what we've talked about today is rooted in Jesus' love for you. So we need to walk out today understanding that at the very minimum. We need to wrestle with understanding Jesus' love for us and then look forward to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives where we're going to be able to start loving others in the same way. This impossible command to love one another just as I have loved you, just as Jesus has loved you, is made possible as Jesus works in you through his Holy Spirit. As Jesus shows you the depths of his love for you, and how you can love others in the same way. And it starts in the church. It starts here. It starts with those who are seated around you today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I'd, I thank you for your love. God, I just want to repent myself for the times that I religiously try to follow your commandments in my own strength. And I pray uh, that if there's anyone here that needs to repent from that as well, that we would that we would repent, we'd come and receive the grace that you give, and, and that we would, we would be able to start to love others in a way that's beyond what we've ever experienced before, beyond our capacity, where we'd, we'd have a little bit of an insight into the depths of your love for your sons and your daughters. I pray that others would be able to look at at the people of Reach Montreal because of the work that you're doing in them through the Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit, and say, those people must be disciples of Jesus because look at their love for each other. I pray that this this work that you've started would continue to, to its fullness. And I just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing in response to this, um, that love that we have um, from Jesus, um, I think walks us into one of my favorite songs. I end up doing it relatively often, uh, Give Me Jesus.